Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source of info for insights and best practices in digital health and digital transformation. Join host Patty Padmanabhan, CEO of Demo Consulting and co-author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how technology, consumerism, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with leading practitioners of healthcare and technology. Hello again, and welcome back to this episode of the Big Unlock Podcast. My special guest today is Matthew Warms, Managing Director of Unity Point Ventures, which is a part of Unity Point Health. Matt has been driving a portfolio of investments for Unity Point Health for the last few years, and we get to hear from him about uh, some of the learnings he's had when looking at uh, portfolio investments, some of the challenges that uh, his portfolio companies and startups in general have, and some pieces of advice that he has for founders looking to get into the digital health space. It's a fascinating conversation. It's a very different perspective from someone who's deep in the healthcare space and who's making some very strategic bets on behalf of his organization. So without any further ado, let's get into the podcast conversation. And before that, uh, just a quick message to acknowledge the generous sponsorship of our partners for the podcast. Be well. I am thrilled to be here today with uh, Matthew Warrens, who is the Managing Director of Unity Point Ventures, which is affiliated to Unity Point Health. And Matt, it's such a pleasure having you on the show. Welcome. Great. Thanks for having me, Patty. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So am I. So why don't we get started for the benefit of our audience? Maybe you could uh, share a little bit of who Unity Point Health is, a little bit about them, and then where Unity Point Ventures sits within the overall organization. Sure, yeah, that'd be great. So Unity Point Health is a health system in primarily in the state of Iowa. We have um, regions across the entire state. We also have a small footprints in Illinois as well as um, Wisconsin, um, but it's a 20 plus hospital system, which I know hospitals isn't a great measuring stick for systems in the Midwest typically, because you can have large quality tertiary care centers with 700 beds and you can have critical access hospitals like we do with, you know, 20 some beds, but we have over 1100 primary care providers um, in our network. We are very much a value-based care organization. We have almost 40% of our patient population in some type of ACO or value-based model. We're continuing to trend in that direction of adding even more. And I joined the organization a little over three and a half years ago. Innovation honestly was a complete white slate here, which was somewhat attractive and somewhat challenging. And we can we can kind of dive into that um, deeper as we go through the interview. And the innovation and the venture fund itself reports up through the chief strategy officer, which I think is fairly similar to most organizations. But I would tell you that the entire C-suite is involved with our investment decisions and our innovation program. So what led Unity Point Health to start a start a venture arm? And uh, what's your mandate? What, what, is the, what is the focus of the venture arm? Yeah, it's a great question. And I get this question a lot. And so, you know, the organization that I worked with uh, previously, I had been there over 20 plus years and had been in a lot of operational roles. And then later in my career, um, was working with the C-suite on special projects and types of things and had the opportunity to help build a commercialization arm. And then shortly following that, there was an idea there probably in 2015 around starting a venture fund. I actually worked with some individuals managing venture funds outside of healthcare, which was kind of an interesting learning curve for us. Health recruited a team there and ultimately ended up managing the pipeline for that fund. 
spending a lot of time, you know, traveling the country looking for these startup companies. And really having had been an operator in healthcare for so long, I think I somewhat looked at things through the lens of understanding how hospital operations really worked and ambulatory as well, and really quickly being able to sift through where were the real value opportunities going to be. And then when I you know, started learning about the venture aspect, decided that this was something I wanted to do full time. And I had a lot of other responsibilities in my former role. And so when this opportunity came up, it was, it was really attractive to me when I talked to the leadership team, because you know, I get a lot of calls from health system leaders or CEOs who want to start a venture fund. And to be quite honest, the first thing I tell them is you shouldn't start a fund. And here's a list of three or four great institutional investors that have a great track record of returning great financial returns. And and I tell them that because unless you're going to um, go out and recruit a team with experience in doing this, that really understands how to evaluate opportunities and underwrite specific financial returns versus more like the scatter approach that I think you see, not just health systems, but a lot of for-profit and non-for-profit organizations who have venture arms doing sometimes, then it's really hard when you take that approach, that scatter approach, it's really hard to tell at any point in time how you're performing. Like what, what are you benchmarking against? Because when you have an actual fund with an actual financial thesis, you can benchmark it in time with other funds during that same time period and, and show success or failure. And I think that's why you see kind of a constant reevaluation of systems that may or may not be doing investing like this. That was what attracted me to coming here to Unity Point was they understood that we needed to take that approach of sticking to a financial thesis, having a dedicated team. But then in addition, and I know we'll talk about this later, really leveraging the strategic value that having a fund could bring. And you mentioned uh, this is a relatively new initiative for Unity Point Health. And uh, to your point, a number of larger health systems have had innovation and venture funds for an extended period of time. You know, UPMC, Providence, Kaiser, they're all the names that come to mind when you talk about this. So when you started out, what kind of themes did you decide to focus on? Were you going to do pretty much what you saw the others doing? Was there a difference in your approach? What are the themes you focus on today? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I would say that early on in our approach, or, or if you look at the companies that were in our portfolio first or early on, they were primarily a lot of point solutions. And that was really just bringing my experience from where I had been previously and recognizing that Unity Point was somewhat behind in what I would call just digital table stakes, right? So we didn't have remote monitoring. We didn't have digital behavioral health. We weren't doing shared decision-making, asynchronous visits. And there were some intriguing financial opportunities during that time to invest in those spaces. Also knowing that strategically, we could then adopt and bring those solutions inside of Unity Point. I would say to your question, then compared to now, you know, where are we going? I would say if you look at the last three or four investments in the portfolio, they're much more enterprise type solutions, right? So, you know, we're trying, we're, we're, we now have married our innovation strategy with the organization's overall strategy. And that's really allowing us to bring forward what we think are more impactful uh, solutions that will impact the enterprise. And you can imagine these are things like, you know, hot topic right now is recruiting, retention, right? And so we've made some interesting investments in that space just recently. So I'd love for you to talk about some of your portfolio companies. Also, do these companies automatically get to become enterprise technology partners to Unity Point Health? Is that part of the attraction for these companies? Is that part of the intent of 
even investing in these companies? How does that work? No, it's a great question. And it's a, it's a delicate balance, right, is the answer there. And so we primarily are making our investments financial first, right? So we're looking to underwrite certain financial returns. And that's how we're making our decision on investing in those companies. We do not guarantee any company that we invest in financially that they will get a commercial contract with Unity Point. However, we have a dedicated team in parallel to our venture team that once we've made those investments, we'll work with that, that organization and our leaders inside of Unity Point to do everything we, everything possible to see if we can help them get that commercial contract. So that starts with leadership alignment. You know, I would tell you that what we're doing is not a skunk works operation. You know, we're looking at what is Unity Point's strategic plan. And one of the things that we often tell or ask leaders are things like, hey, what are you not doing today that you want to be doing? What do you think you're going to be doing, you know, need to be doing, you know, tomorrow or the next day? I often reference this concept of, and this is industry agnostic, in my opinion, of any highly functioning organization is spinning a flywheel of innovate, operate, grow. So whatever we're innovating on today, we put into operations tomorrow on that drive strategic growth. And so we're looking to identify companies that we believe can help Unity Point do that. When we bring these opportunities, these platforms forward to our leaders, we know that oftentimes these are early stage companies and there's somewhat of a risk, especially when I describe, you know, going from originally point type solutions to now more enterprise type solutions. And all we're asking them to do is just give a fair comparison to anything else they're looking in the market that might be doing similar things. And if there are specific platform advantages, financial advantages, et cetera, that, that these you know, longstanding organizations can do, we understand why you wouldn't use the portfolio company that we brought in. But if you can't find those differences, we have the support of the C-suite to take the risk on these, on these earlier stage companies. And so then in addition, once we get to a, a commercial agreement with those companies, we also have a separate team, we call it our internal accelerator team, that doesn't report to IT, that doesn't report to marketing, those FTEs are, they don't get sucked up into you know, M&A activities or, or uh, Epic upgrades. They come to work every day implementing those solutions. They're primarily you know, nurse informaticists, project managers, et cetera. And they really help accelerate the adoption of these things. There's also some annual operating cash in those budgets to pay early on SaaS-based software fees. Every startup has heard this story from a health system that says, oh, hey, I love your solution. It's February. We are two months into our fiscal year. We run on a 12-month budget cycle. So let's talk next spring. And so what having that, that kind of um, bucket of money does is, is help us accelerate those things. So I'm really proud to say that of the 13 companies we have in our portfolio today, 12 of them have a commercial contract with Unity Point. That's great. And you mentioned that uh, uh, you sometimes have to sell within the organization about making uh, bets on these early stage companies. How early is early in your view? And can you talk about a couple of the investments and at what stage you got in and, and how far they've come since then? Just just a couple of examples for us to get a flavor of your portfolio. Yeah, it's a great question. And when you have this financial return first alongside of strategic opportunity, you do have to be somewhat opportunistic. So if you really evaluated our portfolio, you would see investments everywhere from seed stage to series B and, and some things in between. And so you can kind of imagine what the revenue path of those companies are. A couple of great examples of companies in our portfolio actually are our CEOs that you've interviewed in, in your previous podcast. So 
The very first investment that we ever made was in a company called RX Review, which is doing a real-time benefits check. And you know, our group has a motto of, we're looking for solutions that make healthcare frictionless for consumers and make providers' jobs easier. And so RX Review, you know, when you think of it through the, the lens of those two things, every time a physician orders a new medication for a patient is automatically pinging the PBM and the insurance company and getting back in real time what the copay is for that patient. You know, if you ask patients what the number one question they ask their provider when they go to an office visit is, how much is this medication going to cost? And prior to having a solution like RX Review, if a patient asked that, a physician would either say, I don't know, or they would have to get up and leave the room and call a 1-800 number. And it's so super painful, right? And so that really meets the standard there. And I would say that that was a more of a later stage company when we got involved from the investment side. An earlier stage company, one of our more recent investments is in a company called TaylorMed, which is helping a patient. I know you recently interviewed the, the CEO from TaylorMed. And so they're helping patients with financial navigation. So any health system of our size has what you call financial navigators who come to work every day and they're working a work list out of Epic of all the patients the day before that have been ordered these high cost drugs, quite likely infusion drugs or oncology drugs, whose insurance is not going to cover. But the good news is there are pharmacy manufacturer rebate programs out there. There's obviously federal and state programs. There's independent foundation programs. But those financial navigators have to apply to all those different places where they might be able to find coverage for that drug for those patients. And the TaylorMed solution automates all that for those financial navigators. And so, again, back to that mantra of frictionless for a consumer. So I'm finding a way to pay for these medications that, that you, your insurance doesn't cover. But also for us, we're expecting on the financial navigation side that we're going to increase our productivity from anywhere from 5 to 10x. And we're not going to use that to get rid of FTEs. We're going to use that to expand these programs to help more patients get this type of coverage. Let's take a quick break. And I'd like to acknowledge our partners and sponsors, Be Well. And if you like this podcast, rate us on whatever favorite podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're interested in listening to the archives, visit us at thebigunlock.com. With that, back to the conversation. And those two are great examples, and I do recall both of them, uh, they were very interesting entrepreneurs, and uh, they had very interesting stories as well. So uh, let's zoom out a little bit. $30 billion or more in VC money went into these digital health startups last year. And uh, it's, you know, the money is going into various themes. There's this whole patient engagement theme has become a kind of a catch-all term in many ways. There's AI, which is another catch-all term in many ways, and uh, there's clinical trials and a variety of other themes. What themes excite you today, Matt, when you look at the landscape? Yeah. This, you know, I mentioned one, and that that is this recruiting and retention, right? And this is a problem that the pandemic has created with the not just nursing travelers, but really all of the uh, healthcare professionals that are doing traveling or uh, locums, and it's it's creating huge expense to the health systems. And it's not going to just end if and when the pandemic ends, because we've created now somewhat of a bubble that's going to go out for years and we're going to be dealing with this. And so anything that we can bring to bear in that space is of high interest to us. You mentioned the AI space, and I would just tell you that personally, I still don't think we're there. It still is just a lot of machine learning. I would also tell you that, you know, every health system of our size has a 
a team, ours is fairly small, but of people who are creating machine learning processes inside of the platforms that we already use. So oftentimes when we show that team and the stakeholders, some of the startup solutions in that space, they're like, we're already doing this. We've been doing this for a while. So we're not really seeing anything that's you know mind blowing in, in that space. And then maybe to come back to your question though about, so what else are you interested in? We're no longer competing with the hospital across the street, right? I mean, watch the quarterly report of any for-profit health plan today and the CEOs don't even refer to themselves as health plans. They refer to themselves as health providers, right? And so these are organizations that are very well financially backed and we're trying to bring to bear to our organization the types of tools and platforms that we believe we need to compete with them. So there's a couple of interesting things that you alluded to. In fact, you alluded to the labor shortage a couple of different times. I read a piece of statistics somewhere. First of all, I read that this is by far the number one issue on the minds of healthcare CEOs today. And I imagine it's the number one issue for CEOs, period, because the labor shortage runs across, runs the whole gamut of industries. Specifically in healthcare, I read a piece of statistic from Mercer, I think it was, it was a report last year, which said some 6 million healthcare workers at the front line, you know, nurse assistants, home, the people who do the real work uh, in many ways, they are, about 6 million of them are going to retire or leave the workforce, and only about a third of them are going to be backfilled through organic processes. So... One of the themes that I keep hearing constantly is the role of automation in this. I'm just curious, you know, do you think automation is what you're referring to when you're referring to some of the solutions that you're looking at? So this labor crisis is so big, there's not going to be one single solution. I mean, and if there was, I would tell you we should find that and put all our money there. (laughs) It's going to take several different approaches. One thing that I do think that we have to do when you talk about the amount of people who are leaving the workforce is... I do believe that one opportunity we have is to create ways to bring those into a different environment, a more centralized environment, maybe not as high paced or high stress as what they have been working in and and which is causing a lot of the reasons that they are learning. And then on top of that, what technology can we bring to bear that enables those clinicians to provide valuable-based care and be a valuable-based portion of this care team um, that's on the front lines? So let me switch gears here. You mentioned that uh, some of your portfolio companies have been on the show, and I've actually made it a point to invite a lot of innovative startup founders to talk about how they're approaching healthcare. And they have a slightly different, you know, they have innovative, different ways of looking at problems, a fresh pair of eyes, if you will. But I also always ask them, what is the single biggest struggle that they have when uh, trying to make it in the world of healthcare? And healthcare, as you know, is notoriously slow, it's uh, very conservative, and so on and so forth. And I don't want to give away the answers they give me, but I'd love to hear from you. What are you hearing from them when you talk to them about the challenges or when you track their progress? And, you know, what what are the one or two things that you see them struggling with the most? Yeah. I know this wasn't exactly the part of the question that you asked me, but, you know, one of the things that we look for first in, in the, our partners, our portfolio companies is, we put a lot of emphasis on really strong CEOs and really strong founders. I mean, I'd say even more than the financial or the market size or the product, because this is really hard. And you really, in a way, are betting on them. Like, can they, do you truly believe they can do this? And so in Taylor Ben Archibald, you've gotten to meet with, you know, two of probably the best CEOs that we have in the portfolio. You know, and then more specific to your question, 
you know, we take an active governance role with every company that we invest in. Sometimes it's in a voting role. Sometimes it's just in an advisor role. So we're listening to them on a quarterly basis of what those challenges are. And then, you know, weighing in from a health system perspective, how can we be of help to them? You know, so if it's a matter of, you know, understanding, let's just take market, for example, right? Well, if they've got an understanding of what they think the total market is, we can quickly figure out, well, this is what the market is just for our system, right? And then you can really help with some math around that. When you think about product placement and how you're pitching it and how you're talking about it, right? Well, we're in the boardroom with our leaders and we understand how they think and what's motivate them and motivating them and what will resonate with them. And so we can really do a lot to help and work with our portfolio CEOs on that pitch. The last thing I would say is, well, two things, actually. One is we just talked about before we kicked off the podcast, some conferences that you and I both have attended recently. And the world does get really small relatively quickly when you bring together innovation leaders from across health systems. And I think tell you that we're talking all the time, right? I mean, I'm on a text, two or three different text strings with eight or nine other executives that are doing what I'm doing. And it's a lot of, hey, you know, how are you doing this? Have you heard of this? And there is a lot of inside baseball there. And I think the other thing I would say about our portfolio CEOs, you know, they do a lot for us too on, they're also a small world, right? I mean, it, you quickly emerge in who the really good CEOs are and they all talk to each other, right? So, so they're saying, hey, we're having great success with this health system here and this is why, and they're making intros as well. And so this network effect is really important. I will give you the answer that I get from the CEOs that I talk to the founders and CEOs. They tell me that their biggest challenge is the sales cycle within uh, healthcare organizations. Because eventually, you know, it's about surviving with the funding that you have on hand and the, the marketplace traction that you have on hand and the differential has to be made up within a normal sales cycle. Because if you don't make it during the normal sales cycle and you run out of money, you may not get another round of funding and you may have to either do a distress sale or go out of business or any number of other undesirable outcomes. So, when you put that in the context of everything that you're doing out there and when new startup founders come to you and say, Matt, I've got this great idea. I've got some early traction. I've got a couple of clients. These are brand name health systems. What's your advice to them? More broadly speaking, how do you evaluate these companies? But more specifically, for, for a startup founder listening to this podcast, what would you tell them? Uh that's a, a longer conversation. I mean, that could be a whole uh, half hour conversation there. But I would say the first thing is, I think more and more, it's important that you somewhat pick a lane. I'm going to mean that in a couple of different aspects. So there's a lot of great startup companies out there that could sell into health systems, they could sell into payers, they could sell directly into large employers. But you got to kind of ask yourself, should you, right? And there's also a lot of great startups out there that can do many different things based off of the platform they built. But you really need to ask, should you? So maybe to get more specific, yes, if you have a you know, really great narrow product, maybe you can and should sell to all three of those markets that I described. But if you have a more broad product, trying to sell that to all three of those markets, I think becomes a, a really big challenge early on. I'm not saying you can't expand later on, but trying to do that early, to your point, could really break you because of the, the timing of things. And, you know, you talked about the health system sales cycle, and that is a huge barrier. And I talked about one way that we're trying to break that is by having this annual operating um, budget to help with that. But also, you know, one thing I want to point out is 
We don't bend the security process. We don't bend the contracting process. The only special treatment that our portfolio gets in those two buckets is, hey, will you please put our things on the top of the pile <laughs> to be reviewed? But other than that, they have to pass and go through that same standard. I would tell you that I think, and I'm not an expert and I don't work on the payer side, but I think the, some of the challenges, the challenges that the startups see there is that whoever they're working with initially in that industry, people don't stay in roles very long, whether they're getting promoted or moving on to other things or typically plans are growing fast. So people are moving up and then they end up working with different stakeholders. And that's a barrier on that side. So both present interesting challenges. That's actually wonderful advice. And of course, pick a lane and stay with it. I hear this from others too. And I think that is really, really sound advice. Matt, I'm afraid we're going to leave it there for today. I wish we could go on a little longer. Maybe we'll get you back a few months down the road and compare notes. But uh, thank you so much for setting aside the time and being with us on the show. Great. Thank you for having me, Patty. Once again, I'd like to thank our partners, BeWell, for their sponsorship and their support. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We invite you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Healthcare Digital Transformation Leader. Write to us at info at with your feedback and questions. 